Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Make Walters your spot before and after this Sunday's D.C. Defenders game, which is this Sunday at noon at Audi Field. Register online for your first beer on us. Go to waltersdc.com and click on events. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Swing and a line drive to the right field line. That's going to get down for a base hit. In from third to score, run number three is Candelario on a single to right for Kaber Ruiz. He drives in his fourth run of the year. It's the Nationals three and the Guardians nothing here with two out of the bottom of the first inning. Kaber lines one to right center field. That will get down in the alleyway and skip out to the fence and the bounce. Garcia's rounding second, heading to third. He's waved home. The relay to the plate. Here's the play, he's safe. Garcia dives in there. And the Nats are in front, four to three on the double from Kbert Ruiz. 3-0 offering, swing and a drive to deep right. That ball is gone. It clears the Nationals bullpen and goes up into the second deck. A two-run home run for Jose Ramirez. And the Guardians have taken the lead for the first time today. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, April 16th, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Saturday was Jackie Robinson Day in Major League Baseball. It also was uh, another day on which we had a game in which the Nats struggled to score as the game went on. This is becoming an oh-so-familiar theme. A 6-4 loss to the Cleveland Guardians in a rain-delayed game at Nationals Park. Game two of a three-game series. Nats now are 4-11. and 11. So the Nats in this game on Saturday evening scored three runs in the bottom of the first and then just one run the rest of the game. Consider this. The Nats over their 15 games have totaled 55 runs. 11 of those runs have been first inning runs. Nine of the runs have been second inning runs. 20 of the Nats' 55 runs. 36.4% of the team's runs have come in the first or second innings of games. This team doesn't score much. We know that. But this team really (laughs) does not score as games go on. And uh, Mark, we had yet another instance of this on Saturday evening. Yeah, this one followed the script to a T, Al. It was the same thing that you guys saw Friday night, the same thing we've seen a lot. Look, their last six losses have all been by one or two runs. This was about to be their fifth loss by one run until the uh, Guardians tacked on one there in the ninth. And yeah, they're scoring early, but they're not sustaining it 
at all. And it's especially true late in games. The team OPS numbers by inning, and this is going into Saturday's game, so it'll be even worse when this is updated. Innings one through three, 751 OPS. That's perfectly fine. That's solid. Innings four through six, 702 OPS. That's okay. Not awful. Innings seven through nine, the team OPS is 486. That is paltry. You get to a point where they're down a run in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings, and you just don't even feel like there is a rally forthcoming. It just feels like there's no shot at that. And yes, you're facing better pitchers. You're facing top late inning relievers, sure. But it's like they can't generate anything. And so if that's not going to happen, then the answer has to be score more early when you maybe have a starter on the ropes, and they're not doing that well either. No, they're not. The Nationals in this game on Saturday evening, the four runs, 11 hits, nine of which were singles, uh, two doubles to go along with nine singles. Uh, No walks were worked by the Nats in this game. It's strange because there are guys who are getting on base at decent clips. There are guys who are making contact. We are seeing some good plate appearances here. I mean, it's not like when you watch this team hit, especially in the early portions of games, you say to yourself, boy, this is like a wretched team offensively. It's not wretched. You just took us through the OPS numbers. But A, the lack of power, which we've harped on. And yeah, B, you feel like very little hope as these games go on that the offense is going to do anything. I mean, the cliche thing from Davey Wright is the boys are battling. This is the opposite of that. The boys are wilting as this season goes on in terms of games, wilting as the games go on. And remember, we did see this last year too. This was an issue last season where the team didn't put forth comeback efforts. And, you know, I I use the word efforts. It's not like the team isn't trying as these games go on. Like we get that. It's just kind of strange how the team actually can hit fairly well early in games and not do well later in games. And yes, you're facing some good relievers, but you know, in theory, relievers are guys who aren't good enough to be starters. Like not every reliever you're facing is some great reliever, but for whatever reason, this team just can't muster much of anything in like say the second halves of games. I think they get a little anxious at the plate. You see them chasing pitchers out of zone. It feels like a lot of guys are down 0-2 real quick before the at-bat even starts. Now they're in a defensive mode the rest of the way. I mean, the only real opportunity they had late in this game was in the eighth inning. You get back-to-back one-out singles from Garcia and Ruiz. You're down a run. The tying runs on third, and you're thinking, okay, here it is. Get the bat on the ball. At worst, hit a fly ball, and this game is tied. And then Lane Thomas strikes out looking at a 3-2 breaking ball, and C.J. Abrams strikes out on a breaking ball in the dirt. And again, an at-bat that started 0-2, not good quality at-bats from either of those guys. And that's frustrating. And you hate for it to come down to just like those two at-bats, but that's where they're at. If you're not going to give yourself that many opportunities, then you better make the most of whatever opportunities you do get. And they didn't have it, uh, or they did not come through in those spots. So you're seeing Abrams, I feel like, is struggling right now. Victor Robles has kind of turned back into Victor Robles again. Alex Call is not getting on base as much as he was there for a while. But like you said, there are some good at-bats. I thought Manessis is hitting the ball better. I think Cabert Ruiz had his best offensive game, three really solid hits, all good contact. There's some good stuff going on there, but they're not happening in bunches and coming together. And like you said, it's all a lot of it is happening early in the game, and it's not being sustained all the way through. Yeah, K-Bert Ruiz in this game on Saturday evening as the Nats' number six batter, three for four, RBI double, RBI single, and another single. Luis Garcia had another multi-hit game. He was the Nats' number five batter, two for four with a couple of singles. 
You mentioned Joey Manessis. We are still begging. We still are yearning for the first Joey Fourbags home run of this regular season. But Manessis on Saturday evening did go two for four with an RBI single and another single. And uh, the first single came on an 0-2 pitch. The second single came on a 1-2 pitch. So you are seeing some decent things, but obviously you're not seeing enough, especially uh, when the pitching staff gives up some runs, uh, as was the case in this game due to the starting pitcher. So you mentioned Victor Robles. He has come back down to earth. And there is sort of now looming over the Nats lineup a thing. And I don't know if this is like just a Nationals Twitter thing or if this is actually a thing, but I think it's worth talking about. So it was only about a week ago that Stone Garrett caught fire over a couple of games in Colorado. Uh, The Nats 7-6 win at the Rockies on Saturday night, April 8th, was the Stone Garrett game. He, in that game, was the Nats starting DH and number two batter. He went four for five with a three-run homer, two doubles, and a two-run single. He had nine total bases in that game. The next game, Easter Sunday, 7-6 loss at the Rockies. Garrett, starting DH, number five batter, two for five with a couple of singles and a couple of strikeouts. He basically has been on a milk carton since these two games at the Rockies. Now, you know, you think about it. Okay, he's a DH outfielder. The people who he would be in the lineup for are not necessarily people who you are wanting to sit. At the same time, does he have to have disappeared <laughs> over these last few days, as has been the case? I know that Davey Martinez addressed this prior to the game. What'd you think about what Davey had to say? So I asked the question because every day for the last week when I tweet what the lineup is, 95% of the replies are, where's Stone Garrett? What's wrong with them? Why won't they put this guy in the lineup? Are they crazy? And you get to a point they're like, all right, well, I'm just going to ask the question of the manager because clearly it's bothering people out there that the savior, Stone Garrett, isn't in the lineup. And Davey's response, it's multifold. It's not one thing. It starts with, as he says, matchups. They have not faced as many lefties recently as they did early to start the year. They did have one against the Angels and Suarez. And Garrett was not in the lineup for that game. Ever since then, it's just been right-hander. So part of it is a platoon thing. It's also, like you said, who is he replacing? There are similar type of hitters, right-handed DH types like Joey Manessas. Or if you're going to sit Dom Smith and maybe put Manessas at first base, well, you're going to sit Smith against a righty in order to put another right-handed batter up. Alex and and, uh, Lane and and even Victor's playing well. You know, they're going to play right now. Alex Call had been doing a good job in the leadoff spot. He would be one potential replacement. Now, he's cooled off since, like we said. Lane Thomas is playing every day in right field and has done a good job. And Robles, until the last few days, has been hitting fantastic and, and playing excellent defense in center field. So you put that all together and you can see why maybe the right circumstance hasn't arrived for it. And the other part of it, this is something that honestly has frustrated me for the last two years. And it's nobody's fault. This is the way it is now. They just don't pinch hit hardly ever when there's no pitcher hitting for themselves and they don't have a whole lot of guys that are clear platoon one way or the other that, okay, I'm going to bring in the righty to pinch hit for the lefty because they brought in a lefty reliever or anything like that. They just haven't been using any pinch hitter. So it's not just Garrett. Jeter Downs has not spent a moment on the field since he was called up. We don't see Michael Chavis a lot other than when Garcia was hurt for a few days. We're barely seeing Riley Adams at all. It's been all Caber Reese. So they're just not using the bench, period. Now, all that said, this is a team that has struggled to score runs. We know they can't hit the ball for power at all. You have a guy on your bench who, in very limited playing time, hit the ball with a lot of authority. Is there any harm in trying it one game here? No. 
I don't think there is. I think you could justify giving Robles a day off and putting Thomas in center. You could justify giving Thomas a day off. You could justify giving Call a day off. Any of that's fine. Is it a permanent solution to replace one of them? Probably not. But I don't think there's a lot to lose in giving it a try for one game. But he's going to try to find the matchup that makes the most sense. Those games that Stone Garrett started in Colorado, they were specifically good matchups for him. And we saw the results. So let's just acknowledge that as much as we want to believe otherwise, Usually, the manager of a baseball team and the people who work with him know more than we know and actually are smarter when it comes to making these kind of decisions than we as media members or fans are. That is true. As much as we don't like to admit to that, that is true. I have two points I want to make about this Stone Garrett thing, and they are to a certain degree in contrast, but hopefully this makes sense. So number one, I look forward to the day when the Nats are really good again so we can look back and laugh at the cries for Stone Garrett to be put back into the Nats lineup, okay? Like, this is where we are right now with this team and this lineup in this offense, that we have people begging for Stone Garrett to be inserted into the lineup as if that's going to make, you know, some massive difference. So, you know, it's kind of like the debate for opening day starter, Patrick Corbin, Josiah Gray. Each guy had an ERA well over five for last year. Like, what are we talking about here when we're debating that? But that is the state of things right now. So that would be point number one. Like, uh, you know, let's kind of take stock of where we are. But point number two would be this. One of the things that drove me nuts with last Nats season was this extreme and eventually inexplicable loyalty to people for whatever reasons, right? Nelson Cruz, Cesar Hernandez, Michael Franco, et cetera. And it really became bothersome, I thought, especially after the trade deadline passed. And we continue to see Nelson Cruz bat cleanup and we continue to see Cesar Hernandez like as an everyday player and bat like high up in the order at times. And it drove you nuts, right? So I would just say this about this season. It's still early in the season, right? So you still need to be giving people opportunities. But there should not be extreme loyalty to basically anybody. Now, obviously, with you know younger guys like Abrams and Garcia, you want to give them ample room to play and grow and make mistakes. But you know, I was thinking about Joey Manessis, all right? I hope Joey Manessis catches fire. It's not happening right now. You know, he got a couple of hits on Saturday evening, but he's not hitting for like any power. And as much as we all thought, hey, he was so good over the final two months of last season, there must be something there. Maybe the last two months of last season for him were just this amazing surge, never to be duplicated again. The point would be this. You don't have to have Joey Manessis as an everyday batter. If he's struggling, you can go with Stone Garrett for a few games and kind of see what happens. And when it comes to Manessis and Dominic Smith and some of the other veterans on this team, pseudo veterans on this team... I just, I really hope we don't have anything like a Nelson Cruz, Cesar Hernandez, Michael Franco situation this season, especially Cruz and Hernandez, because I think that really bothered people last year. I know it bothered me, and it really became a head scratcher as the year went on. Like, why are you so stuck on these guys? And in the case, especially of Cruz, so stuck on him as your cleanup batter, like it doesn't have to continue to be that way. So as this season goes on, if guys continue to struggle, it's okay to bench them, even if you went into this season thinking that those guys would be key guys for you. I don't disagree with any of that. And it was frustrating to a lot of people when some of those names that you mentioned were continuing, not just to start, but to start and in prominent positions in the lineup. Nelson Cruz hitting cleanup, Cesar Hernandez hitting leadoff when things weren't going well. I don't think anybody in this year's lineup really fits that description. I don't think there are those type of guys. I think right now, most of these, with maybe one or two exceptions, are players who could figure into the future here. They may not be the cornerstones you're building around, 
But Joey Manessis, despite his age, has a lot of control <laughs> and did things over two months that were really remarkable. And like we said, did it in the World Baseball Classic as well. So you feel like there's something there. So I don't think abandoning him is, is anything to do, not 15 games into the season. A month from now, six weeks from now, if this is still an issue, yeah, I can see that. I think there's a balance here. I think there is a way to find at-bats for somebody who has potential, who could also in theory be part of your future in Garrett, while not completely benching somebody else or taking a ton of at-bats away from someone else. I think there's an opportunity for a game here and there to do that kind of thing. And I don't think anybody has locked up their spot in this lineup based on their track record. Nobody has really established that. So I, I think there's a way to do it. But I, I would say that I think there's a slight difference this year from last year in that Manessis and Smith and Thomas are not really in that Nelson Cruz, Cesar Hernandez. Those guys were literally placeholders whose best days were well behind them. I don't feel like they have those same guys this year. No, but I think we do have to be open-minded to maybe there isn't much there with Manessis. Like, that is possible. Maybe this was a career minor leaguer who had a great two-month run last year, but, you know, he's slugging 293 on the season here. Like, maybe he just isn't that good, and that's why he was in the minors for that long. Like, I still don't buy that just yet. Like, I still want to give the guy more time, but, you know, it is possible. Like, we can't just take those last two months of last season as gospel for what this guy is or, you know, as meaning, hey, this is who will be. I mean, Dominic Smith, he had some good seasons with the Mets. His last few seasons were not very good. Maybe his last few seasons are what he is. You know, we don't know. Jamer Candelario, his last season was awful. Okay. Now the season prior to that was quite good. Maybe what he was last season is more to what he is. Like you have to be open to it all. That's all. But yeah, I think one day we will look back <laughs> on the Stone Garrett conversation of 2023 and hopefully have a good, healthy laugh about where we were versus where we are. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kate Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfas has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red hot antitrust, IP litigation, white collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Even in the quote unquote slow first quarter of 2023, Mason Kalfas worked with three different lawyers who doubled the compensation their previous law firms were paying those lawyers. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. He is Scott Boris-like when it comes to law firm partner contracts, and Mason Kalfas will negotiate you a new and better contract today. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now the set runner going. Pitch is inside the throw on a short hop. The tag by Abrams. Not in time. A stolen base for Stephen Kwan. Now four out of five. I want to get your take on this. What are you seeing right now from Kbert Ruiz and more broadly the Nationals' defense of opposing teams' running games? I know you asked Davey recently about Kbert's throwing. So the Guardians early in this game on Saturday evening were running wild with three stolen bases. It ended up being officially that the Guardians went uh, three for five on stolen bases. But if you go by the official stats for the season here, Kbert Ruiz is a mere three for 14 on runners trying to steal. We know that stolen bases aren't just on catchers. They also are on pitchers. Where are we here with the, the Nationals' defense of opposing teams running games? So earlier in the week, uh, there was some real concern about Ruiz and his throws. And Anaheim, he had a couple of bad ones, including a costly error. And he had a mechanics thing that wasn't going well. He would catch the pitch and he kind of stepped to the side as he was throwing it. And that would cause the ball to sail on him, particularly that one at third base. He worked on that on the off day. And I thought in this game, his throws were much, much better. I didn't think any of them were his fault in this game. He nearly threw out Stephen Kwan in the first inning. I thought that throw was right on the money and it was just a tick late. That was on Chad Cool for not holding the runners better. This is another point of emphasis that the uh, team has right now with their pitchers. And it's kind of an interesting quirk of the pitch clock. If you're obsessed in your mind as the pitcher with the pitch clock and you know, okay, by this point, I need to start my delivery or throw over to first, whatever it is, you can fall into some patterns very easily. And if you're the base runner, especially if the clock's ticking down to the last couple seconds, you pretty much know he's going to throw a pitch and you can time that and get a good jump. And so something that they are really trying to work on right now with their pitchers is adjust your hold times. You come set, don't do the same thing every time. Don't come set and go one, two, pitch. Hold it for three seconds one time. Hold it for one second the next time. If you're set with seven seconds to go in the pitch clock, you can take it all the way down to the end. Like you're in control of that situation now. Now, You don't want to do it too much because now you're losing sight of the real task of the hitter, but vary it up just enough to keep the runners honest, and I think you'll see a difference. I feel like Cabert Ruiz, yeah, there were some throwing issues earlier, but I thought he threw the ball very well in this game, and I think in the sense I got from the clubhouse as well was that these were on the pitcher, not on the catcher. Chad Cool, he was a national starting pitcher in this game on Saturday evening, and uh, things did not go well. Things are not going well for Chad Cool so far in this regular season. Chad Cool on Saturday evening, uh, five runs in four and two-thirds innings. 
gave up seven hits, a home run, a triple, a double, and four singles. Uh, he issued three walks. He had just two strikeouts. And he, over his mere four and two-thirds innings, threw a whopping 96 pitches, and he threw just 52 strikes versus 44 balls. This was a pretty ugly outing. Cool in a Guardians two-run fifth, gave up a one-out two-run homer by Jose Ramirez on a bomb to right field for a 5-4 Guardians lead. You look at this Nationals rotation, three-fifths of the rotation has been fine, maybe even better than fine. When you talk about Mackenzie Gore, Josiah Gray, Trevor Williams, Patrick Corbin has not been good, and Chad Cool has been even worse. Three starts in ERA now of 859, a whip of 170. We know that the Nats are lacking in legitimate, viable major league starting pitching options, but you know Chad Cool off a bad season last year with Colorado. Obviously, not off to a good start this season with the Nets. No, it reminds me of Aaron Sanchez last year, and I don't mean that in a positive way at all. We saw Sanchez got, what, about seven or eight starts before they pulled the plug on that one, and it was kind of a similar thing. It was a struggle to get through five innings. It was a struggle to hold the opposition to fewer than four runs, and I think that's what we're dealing with here. In this game in particular, three walks, all of them four-pitch walks. The latter two were back-to-back, and both runners came around to score in the fourth inning. And then the home run, which is kind of the seal-the-deal moment of the game, came on a 3-0 pitch, and it was a 3-0 slider. So, like, you know in your mind, this guy knows I can't throw strikes. I better throw a fastball. No, I'm going to try to surprise him with a slider. And he ends up hanging that, and Jose Ramirez, a very good hitter, was waiting for it and crushed it into the second deck for a two-run homer. You know, those are not good signs in any way. And it felt like throughout this one that he did not really have it. He was not going to be long for this game. And I think it's a valid question to ask if at the end of the fourth inning in which he's faced the lineup two times through, he's already given up three runs, he's already at 75 pitches, if it was time to pull the plug there. I can understand why you try to squeeze one more inning out of him. We know how much the bullpen has worked. We know Corbin is scheduled to go Sunday and you got to try to save some arms for that. So I get it. You got to believe that a starting pitcher can at least get you through the fifth inning and throw more than 75 pitches. But it sort of felt like it was only going to be a matter of time. And sure enough, it fell apart for him in the fifth inning. Yeah. And, you know, it's not Chad Cool's fault that he is in the rotation for who Cool is in the rotation. But every time he pitches, I don't know about you, but I say to myself, like, this should be a Cade Cavalli game. And it's just, you know, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to get up for Chad Cool when it was supposed to be Cade Cavalli. And it's even harder now because Chad Cool is getting hit like batting practice in these games. I mean, it's not going well. You know, I guess the Nats have to have at least a decent appetite for this year because, again, there aren't many other viable major league starting pitching options in the organization right now. But, I mean, if this continues, do you think they'll stick with him? Or do you think he does get the Aaron Sanchez treatment and the Nats will bring up somebody just because it'll be untenable if this continues, an ERA approaching nine. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, this is three starts. I think he probably would get at least three more somewhere in that range before you start looking to do anything because you have to understand that, you know, God forbid, other guys are going to go down along the way and you're going to need more pitching help. So he may have to be in the rotation for a while if somebody else were to go down. But as they're watching who's at AAA, whether it's Joanna Doan, Corey Abbott, even Jake Irvin, who is somebody who may have a future here. I don't know if they'd make that the first move, but see how he's doing after a while. Maybe you could make that move. So I, yeah, I, I don't think there's an unlimited leash here with Cool, but I don't think they're there yet. I don't think they're in such a desperation mode or that there's such an obvious replacement that they have to do it yet. But 
three more starts. If it's still going like this, I think you could see the Aaron Sanchez treatment coming for him. They don't need him to be great. They just need him to give him a chance. Give him five innings and three runs, and that can be good enough. Unfortunately, that's even been a challenge for him here so far. It's non-competitive, which is the problem. Just be competitive, and his outings uh, have not been. Hey, Nat Chat listeners, Tim Shovers here, producer of the podcast, to tell you about game time. Do you struggle sometimes to find tickets to your favorite events? Buying tickets to these shouldn't be stressful. That's why you should look into the game time app. It's even harder these days with the lack of paper tickets available on the street. If you're looking for tickets to Nats, DC United, or even the Drake concert this summer, Game Time offers the lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, and job loss protection. Game Time is the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account at GameTime.co and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. The pitch. Bell swings and hits it in the air down the left field line toward the corner. Call on the run, and he can't get it. It bangs off the wall, and he has to chase it down. Rounding third, Gonzalez Hill score, and Bell is in at second with his second double of the game. A big insurance run for the Guardians here in the top of the ninth. They now lead it 6-4. to four. Well, the Nationals' bullpen in Game 1 of this series had problems. The Nationals' bullpen on Saturday evening overall did a pretty good job, although it did give up a key run. But three Nats relievers in the game combined to give up just one run in four into third innings. Erasmo Ramirez, off uh, some bumpy outings not long ago, has actually settled down here over his last few outings. He, on Saturday evening, two into third scoreless innings. Uh, Anthony Banda in the top of the eighth faced three batters and sandwiched uh, two singles around it out. And then Thaddeus Ward allowed one run in one and two-thirds innings. He, in the top of the eighth, faced two batters, got two outs, including doing a good job of fielding his position, fielding a bunt, getting it out at home. Uh, but then Ward, in the top of the ninth, allowed a run on back-to-back one-out walks and then a one-out opposite field RBI double by our friend Josh Bell to deep left field for a 6-4 Guardians lead, a key insurance run to be sure. But I tell you, with Josh Bell, you got to laugh. He had been horrendous so far this season prior to this series. And we know that Josh Bell, when he's bad, can be like a special kind of bad. Josh Bell, over the first two games of this series, has 10 total bases. He has a homer. He has a key double. And he's hitting like the Josh Bell who we saw hit uh, for a good portion of his tenure with the Nats. He's been great in this series so far of having been so bad coming into this series this season. I listened to you and Tim on the drive in and you you nailed it. We know who Josh Bell is. When he's cold, he's really cold. But once he heats up, watch out. And this may be the series that turns it around for him. I would not be surprised by that at all. That double, that's classic Josh Bell driving a ball to the opposite field. Good effort by Alex Call. Try to get there. Couldn't get there in time. He is hitting the ball with authority to the opposite field. And you know, as a Josh Bell fan, I'm, I'm happy for him to see that. Uh, it's unfortunate that it would be coming at the expense of the Nationals. I thought Thad Ward had done a nice job, especially getting out of that jam that he inherited in the eighth. A really nice play on the squeeze bunt where, especially for a rookie pitcher, 
you can get flummoxed there. And instead, he tracked it down, threw it right to Ruiz, who also did a great job at the plate. You know, they checked it to see if he blocked the plate. It was perfect form. He was behind the plate when he caught it. As soon as he caught the ball, he put his knee down, perfectly legal, and nice job there. The problem, as was the case with Cool, is Thad Ward, you get to the ninth and back-to-back walks. They will kill you. They've been pretty good, the pitching staff, without not issuing a ton of walks. That hasn't been that much of a problem for them this year. In this game, it certainly was. And when it's a team that runs the way the Guardians do, you really can't afford just to give them free passes like that because a walk very easily can turn into a double with them. Yeah, the Guardians do not hit home runs. Uh, The Nationals and the Guardians, the two worst teams in the majors in terms of hitting home runs. But the Guardians are having a pretty good season so far. Nine and six are Nats now are four and 11. All right, Tim and I got into this in the last installment of the podcast. I know that you have some thoughts on it, and that is the sale of the commanders and what that means for the Nationals, what that says to us about the Nationals. First off, I'll I'll start by saying I've read the comments. I know that not everyone out there loves talk of this kind of thing about other teams in town on a Nats-centric podcast. I get that. We're trying to relate it to what it has to do with the Nationals. And I think that's important because, as Tim said, it was a very significant development this week with them. And we've been talking for the last year about does the sale of one team affect the sale of the other team? And I'm not sure there's a direct connection between that. But I will say this, and uh, I respect Tim and I, I get what he was trying to say, but I also disagree in one way in him saying that he thought that the sale of the commanders ultimately is good for the Nationals, that positive news about the other teams and support of the other teams is good for the others. I go back to you know October 30th, 2019, and the Nats are on top of the world at that point and for the next few days until, what, Strasburg opts out, and that was kind of the beginning of the end. But thinking to myself then, that day of the parade, this is about to become a baseball town. We've always kind of wondered. We've known that it was a football town, number one above all else. But it felt like it was a football town by default, especially for the last decade or so, as the commanders fell apart on the field and off the field. And it was like fans were just waiting for somebody else to take that mantle. We thought the Caps did the best they could, winning a Stanley Cup, being consistent contenders. And it was great, and it's become a good hockey town. But I personally always felt like baseball had a broader audience and fan base and that a winning baseball team in this town would have the potential to challenge the football team and maybe even overtake it, given how bad things were on the football side. And they had this opportunity after winning the World Series. And for a variety of reasons, some of them their fault, some of them not their fault, they kind of lost that. But remember, there was a, a survey in the Post not that long ago. More people identified themselves as Nationals fans than Commanders fans. That to me was a red flag, like, whoa, I don't know that I ever really saw that coming. To see that actually be the case was pretty astounding. So it's a good thing for the Commanders, and you hope that the new owner leads that franchise and takes them back into being something good. And for all the people who are fans of them, that's great. I don't know that's necessarily a good thing for the Nationals because I think there was an opportunity, maybe still is an opportunity for the Nationals to seize control of this town in a sports standpoint. And it maybe it's too late. Maybe it's already passed them by. But had things continued the way they were going on the football side, there was still an opening there, I think, for the Nationals to do it. And maybe that's not going to happen now. Yeah, I think what's always been difficult with that idea of like another team in this town overtaking the football team for number one is as dysfunctional as the football team has been, 
it's in a league that has exploded over the last 20, 30 years, the NFL. And so the NFL has been this rising tide that has lifted all 32 of its teams, even the teams that are so poorly run as the commanders have been. The Nationals, on the other hand, are playing a sport that has had a hard time creating new fans and has had a hard time generating younger fans and has lost steam nationally. Although baseball does well locally, it's kind of a weird thing with baseball. Like it does well regionally and locally, but it has problems nationally. And so I think that's always been something that has worked against the Nationals is that they're part of something that isn't thriving right now. Whereas the commanders, as horrible as they have been on and off the field, okay, and I'm a commanders fan, okay, and I talk about them all the time on my podcast. So I'm very comfortable, you know, saying these things. They're part of the NFL, and the NFL has been this unstoppable force for, you know, 30 years or so, give or take. And so I think that's been the challenge. But I guess I always come back to this, and I said this on the last show, like, I think there's room for everyone. I think in the Washington, D.C. area, there is so much disposable income, and there are so many people, period, and there are so many advertising dollars. When you think about all the companies that are here, I think everyone can do well. And I don't think it has to be one or the other. I don't think you have to pick one or the other. I think you can be fan of both and want both to do well. And, uh, you know, I hope more and more that becomes a sentiment as opposed to like, I'm a Nats fan. I hate the commanders. I'm a commanders fan. I hate the Nats. Like, I I hate that. Like, I don't want any of that. I want everyone to to sort of do well here. So hopefully that'll be the case. Uh, We shall see. Hit us up on Twitter. Tell us what you think uh, at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. And remember, we have a new website, NatsChatPodcast.com. You can contact us that way. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to that website. Again, it is NatsChatPodcast.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit TimNewmark.com. Nats Chat is on the radio Sunday mornings, 11 to 12 on ESPN Richmond, which is 106.1 FM in the uh, Richmond, Virginia area and ESPNRichmond.com all over the globe. Uh, For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. In honor of Jackie, Major League Baseball is taking the unprecedented step of retiring his uniform number, number 42, in perpetuity. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.